0: Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to see a glimpse of what you are doing around the world, Lord, how souls are being won for your kingdom. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that us here at Faith Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico can be a part of the gospel reaching the unreached and lost coming to Christ and souls being healed and reconciled to you. Father, I just thank you for the privilege of being a part of your kingdom work, and I ask Lord Jesus that you would speak through me and encourage your people this morning. In Christ's name, amen. My name is Jonathan Nguyen, and I get the privilege of uh, bringing the message to you this morning. Uh, my wife Alyssa and I and our three children, we've been part of Faith Church now for, I think, about six years. And before that time, um, we, uh, we actually lived in the country of China. We worked there for about ten years, got to be part of God's kingdom work there, and now we are thrilled to be part of God's kingdom work here locally the United States here in New Mexico. And I am also, uh, most of my time is is given to education. Uh, I'm a teacher and a principal, and I think a lot about uh, education, a lot about teaching. And I want to begin our time considering Jesus as the master teacher. Uh, Jesus was uh, he, you know, when you look at the Gospels, um, I did this recently, just reading through the Gospel of Luke, and I was struck by the way in which Jesus taught. He was constantly using stories, constantly using parables, asking questions, giving word pictures, and we know that Jesus spoke powerfully. He spoke as a teacher as one who had authority, and yet ironically, uh, Jesus was also often misunderstood. Even though he was the perfect teacher, the master teacher, the master communicator, he was also often misunderstood. In fact, Jesus would also, often had this line that he would say before or after, and sometimes in the middle of his parables. He would say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I often thought when I would read that, that was kind of a strange statement. I'm like, well, doesn't everybody have... I mean, I know there are deaf people, but people that have ears that can hear, don't they just hear? Well, um, if I asked the, the wives in this room that if someone has ears, does that mean that they always hear? I think they would say, yeah, they would, they would chuckle and say, well, not always. And so I think we get an idea of what Jesus meant by that, that even though we might hear the words that are being communicated, that those words might, you know, might even be somewhat intelligible, we may not truly be listening to what the message is. And my prayer is that as I share a little bit this morning, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to see what the Lord has for us. And so as Jesus as a teacher, a great teacher, what is it that he spoke most about? What, was, what were some themes of his teaching? Well, the one that seems to be predominant, uh, at least many I think several biblical scholars would probably agree, is that Christ often taught about the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. In the different gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, there are different ways that um, that is translated or that it was said. Um, the kingdom of heaven is the way it is most often referred to in Matthew's gospel, and in fact, If you just think about Jesus teaching on the kingdom, okay, Jesus teaching on the kingdom, that's under our first point about seeing the kingdom. Jesus taught about the kingdom in the Beatitudes. You might remember Jesus saying, you know, blessed um, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you are persecuted, for you will be great in the kingdom of heaven, Or or yours is the kingdom of heaven, in the Lord's prayer. It begins, you know, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before uh, Jesus was arrested and crucified, as he was giving his sermon, um, it's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. Jesus talked about the gospel of the kingdom. He said, The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. And that's part of why we are very much behind these unreached, these mission agencies reaching unreached peoples, because we want the gospel to be preached to all the nations, every tribe, every tongue, and every language. Jesus once, uh, in responding to the Pharisees, when asked if the kingdom of God would come. This is in Luke 17:21. He said, "The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed." nor would they say, "Look, here it is." Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you." And so Jesus would often teach about the kingdom of. Of heaven, The kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And yet when He would say those words, all kinds of different, you know, people would receive it in different ways. And they would comprehend it in different ways. Even though Christ taught so powerfully and clearly. And so today, as we've been singing about the kingdom, we've been listening to what the kingdom is, how the kingdom is advancing around the world... I thought it'd be appropriate that we look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus teaches and gives several parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I pray that as we read this passage, that our eyes and our ears would be open. So turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at some of Jesus' parables about the kingdom. Jesus' parables about the kingdom. Now, I I am not going to read the whole passage. I'm trying to be very mindful of my... It's it's a little bit shorter time this morning because of the videos, but I'm just going to hit some highlights. I'm hoping that you're somewhat familiar with these parables. So we see uh, Jesus telling several parables, beginning with the parable of the sower. Some would call it the parable of the soils, because really it's focusing on the different kinds of, so, different kinds of, of soils that, the, that receive the seed. But the meaning for the kingdom is that when the word is preached and when the gospel is proclaimed, it is received differently depending on the heart, right? Some receive it quickly and then it's snatched away. Some receive it and then the cares and the worries or the riches of this life choke it. And some receive it, and it produces a harvest, um, a great harvest. And so we see Jesus talk about how the kingdom is received in different ways, and not everyone has ears to hear the kingdom. Then we see the parable of the weeds, and later on the parable of the net, but they're very similar. And Christ is talking about how in the kingdom there will be true believers mixed with false believers or non-believers And you can't always tell at first who the true followers are and who the false followers are, but at the end of the age, the angels, like drawing in a net or like picking, um, sifting the wheat from the chaff, will separate them for judgment, some for eternal punishment, and some for eternal life in the kingdom. He who has ears, let him hear. And then Jesus talks about the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven that works through the dough and how the kingdom of God starts small and it seems maybe somewhat insignificant. You know, even as I was thinking about some of these testimonies and these stories that you hear, you know, Ahmed and this blind man and these different people that are hearing God's word. God has done some incredible work in history through one man or one woman that came to Christ and faithfully proclaimed. You know, the gospel is being proclaimed in these different areas. It might sometimes seem like a small thing. But like the mustard seed, it starts small, the kingdom, and it is often underestimated in its potency in the eyes of the world. But then in due time, it completely transforms and overtakes all. And the glory of God will be clearly seen and cover the whole earth one day. Amen. And so this brings us to the passage I want to really focus on in Matthew 13. You see on the screen there, Matthew 13, 44. And we're going to look at two parables that Jesus talked about, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. So read with me And bought it. So, what is Jesus teaching about the kingdom in these two parables? What is it that we can observe here? So, number one, the kingdom isn't easily seen. I've already been kind of talking about that, but here we see that the kingdom is is like a treasure hidden in a field you wonder how many people walked by this field and didn't know there was a treasure there. How many maybe even worked in that field or just said, oh, this is just like an average field, you know, just trees, bushes, whatever, grass. But there was a hidden treasure. How long had it been there? How many people missed it? How many people miss The glory of God's kingdom here and now. You might be able to think of your own testimony. I'm sure you can. How many times you heard the gospel. How many times you opened your Bible, heard about Jesus, and completely missed it. Thought, oh, it's just another religion. Oh, he's just another good teacher. Oh, that's just gibberish. That's just a myth. Whatever that thought was. But then, by God's Spirit, In due time, you saw the kingdom. And that is the second point. We are still under point one, by the way, about you see the kingdom. The kingdom is hidden until God reveals it to us. Now, that may not be evident in this parable here. But Jesus, talking about the kingdom in John chapter 3, when he's speaking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a, a teacher of the law, and he's trying to understand how to be born again, and what does that mean? And in John 3, verse 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the Holy Spirit must open our eyes, we must be regenerated to be able to see God's kingdom, to see the glory of the gospel, to see Christ as Messiah. Another passage, we see this principle at work Uh, in Matthew 16, verse 16 and 17. Jesus is with his disciples and they're traveling and he's asking them, who do people say that I am? And they're saying, oh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say this or that. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, Answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus does not say, Peter, you're really smart. You figured it out. It's not what he says. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. Okay? The kingdom is revealed by God to us. This is also why throughout the scriptures. We see in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, like the psalmists, we see them praying, asking God, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The psalmists are continually asking the Lord to open their eyes, to give them insight, to give them revelation. We see Paul often praying for the churches, asking that the Holy Spirit would give them wisdom and revelation to know the hope that, he has called, that God has called us to, the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom. That's in Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, and many other places. So we see that we as people, we need the Lord to open our eyes to see the kingdom. We cannot see it in our own power or by our own wisdom. It must be revealed to us. It is not easily discerned. And so... My question for you at this point is, do you see the kingdom of God? Do you marvel at the kingdom of God? Do you, is it glorious to you? Have your eyes been opened? How do you know if you are seeing it? How can you tell if someone else is seeing it? Well, let's look back at the parables for some clues to this. And that brings us to point number two. Do you seek the kingdom. Do you seek the kingdom? Let's look at seeking here. Back to our parable. It's very conveniently short, so I can keep going over it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasury hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then you look at the kingdom, the next one. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we see here that although the kingdom is revealed by the Lord, it is also sought after and found. It's one of the great mysteries of salvation, God's sovereign grace at work, but also us seeking and receiving Him. The kingdom must be earnestly sought. We see that in both these parables, the man finds this treasure. Maybe that was accidental. It almost comes across that way. But the, but the, the pearl, uh, the merchant looking for the pearl, he is in search of fine pearls. He is looking for a fine pearl. He's not just casually coming across it. And I, I think it is safe to say this is a principle of the kingdom because it is Throughout the scriptures and throughout Jesus' teaching as well. Um, thinking of the Old Testament, a few, a few passages here. Psalm 63, verse 1. David writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, <clears throat> as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David sought after God. First Chronicles sixteen eleven. David writes, seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. We must be seeking God's presence. We must be seeking His face. Um, Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. James writes that we sometimes do not have because we do not ask. And it seems in this passage that Christ is giving some contingencies that we will receive if we ask. We will find if we seek. The door will be opened if we knock. We have a responsibility to be seeking The kingdom, and that, of course, maybe the first passage that came to your mind is Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. We must be seeking the Lord. We must be seeking his kingdom, and as we seek his kingdom, we will see more and more of it. So make no mistake, we will not grow in our insight or in our experience and impartation of the kingdom of God without us participating in that process and seeking after the Lord. I think I think often of a, an illustration in terms of you know, my responsibility and, and relying on the Lord's power. I think of an airplane, I love airplanes. You know, you got two wings. I think of like the two wings, as like trust and obey. And then the power for that whole plane to, to move it all, the thrust comes from the Holy Spirit. But those wings are critical for it to fly, right? But the power doesn't come from the wings, right? But those are critical. And for us as believers, we are called to trust the Lord. We are called to obey the Lord. And as we do that, he makes us fly. So, we must seek the kingdom. Now, in reality, all of us are seeking a kingdom. The question is, which kingdom are we seeking, right? All of us are are putting forth much effort uh, in pursuit of some kind of kingdom. Uh, There's a worldly kingdom. There's the kingdom of man, which is actually the kingdom of darkness. That's part of its deception. There are only two kingdoms in the world, There's the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son of God, and there's the kingdom of darkness. But we think there's like this middle ground sometimes, there's this neutral kingdom of our own little kingdoms that we try to build, um, our careers, our family, reputations, different things, Um, not necessarily bad things, but if those are our primary focus, it becomes an idol, right? And, And so... I want to challenge you, as I've been challenging myself preparing this talk, what kingdom am I seeking, and, and how is that evident in my life? How, are my, how is my time, my talent, my treasures, my resources being directed, um, and does that reflect that I'm seeking God's kingdom, or my own kingdom, which would actually not be my own kingdom, it would be the enemy's goals? So think about that. Consider, consider that. Which kingdom are you seeking? Let's look back now to the parables. Why do we want to seek the kingdom of God? Well, let's look again. When the man finds the treasure in the field, what does he do? In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then the merchant who finds the pearls... On finding this pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought that pearl. <clears throat> so how great was that treasure? Well, it was priceless. It, 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 they were willing to sell and give everything they had, everything that they had by comparison to that treasure. Yep, let that go and take the treasure. The treasure is priceless the kingdom of heaven is priceless nothing can compare in value to the kingdom of god so what does it look like when a boy or girl or a man or woman has found the kingdom of god how is that demonstrated Well, that brings me to my final point, and that is it is demonstrated by following the king. By following the king, and that's the question I'm posing to you again. In question form, will you follow the king? Do you see the kingdom? Do you seek the kingdom? And will you follow the king? So what does it mean to follow the king? Well, first of all, it means following the king's mission. Okay, Jesus is very clear about how to follow him. He gives us very clear instructions. When the disciples wanted to follow Jesus, he said, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. When we follow Christ, he makes us fishers of men. His final words, his commission, we call it the Great Commission to the Disciples, was to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. This is Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we are called to make disciples by following the King. We are also called to be an agent of reconciliation and healing. Uh, Pastor Mike preached on this. Just a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul writes, the love of Christ controls us. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And he goes on and talks about how we are Um, Christ ambassadors, that we have the ministry of reconciliation. That is what we are called to do. That is how we follow the king as we bring reconciliation and healing and repentance. We call people to repentance. Finally, um, I was thinking of a, a real life example of a person who followed the king. This past year, um, I had the chance of just reading through the autobiography of Amy Carmichael. She was a great missionary to India. We've you've heard a lot about India already, and we sponsor a lot of uh, mission work in India. Amy Carmichael, when she was 15 years old, she was raised in the church, this is, she lived. she was born in Ireland, by the way, back in 1867. As a young girl, at 15 years old, <clears throat> heard the gospel? Parents were very faithful in that. At 15 years old, in Sunday school, they were singing, Jesus loves me. And all of a sudden, it hit her. Her eyes were opened. And she she realized Jesus loved her and that Jesus was calling her to himself and to follow him. Three years later, she has an encounter with the Lord, and uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 12, and 13, the Lord speaks to her heart about how on the day of judgment he will judge each person's work, whether it will burn up like straw or hay or or pass through the fire like gold and precious jewels. And she, she felt God's call to follow her and to invest her life in that which is eternal. And so... Number one, we're called to follow the king's mission, but number two, we're called to follow the king's heart. Amy heard and sensed the heart of her king to spend her life on that which is eternal. And there are only two things I know that are eternal in this world. Number one is God's word, and number two is people, eternal souls. Those are the only only two things that will last For eternity. And so Amy poured out her life uh, to study God's word and to serve people. And in the scriptures we see also, while of course all people are precious to the Lord and have eternal souls, there is a special affection that God seems to have with certain kinds of people. Number one, children. Children are precious to the Lord. Number two, the poor. The outcast, the marginalized, the fatherless, the widows. Those are the people that are most vulnerable, and Christ seems to have a special affection for them. And that is where Amy devoted her life to. She followed the king's heart. Third, she followed the king where he leads. And she began in her own Jerusalem, her own local town, as we should do as Christians. You begin serving the Lord here uh, in Albuquerque or Rio Rancho. She began in her hometown. In due time, the Lord called her to Japan, then to China, then to Sri Lanka, and then she landed in India, southern India, um, Donaver, and she served there. Uh, she had a brief trip back to England. She got sick about a year after she was in India. And then for the next 55 years, for the remainder of her life, she never left. She worked with uh, orphaned girls and, um, and later on boys as well. A lot of these young girls were um, temple prostitutes. They were raised in that way. Um, it, was, it was difficult. It was hard work. It was dark. It was dangerous. And she depended heavily, heavily on the prayers of those in her home church and other churches back in England and in the United States. Um, A little side note here, but as we are supporting missionaries, we can't underestimate how important prayer is for those missionaries. I, I I know experiencing that when I was overseas with my family, and knowing that people were praying for us was was so 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 encouraging. Um, William Carey, another missionary to India, he once used this analogy. He he kind of felt like missions, like when he was going into India, it was like a miner being lowered down into a dark mine, and you know being lowered by a rope, and the churches were the ones holding the rope. And he would tell the churches. Please don't let go of the rope. Like, I am, I am trusting you to hold the rope as I go down into the, these dark, unknown, unexplored, unreached areas. And so, as we are supporting our missionaries, uh, as they are following the king where he leads, we need to hold that rope, and we need to be faithful. Um, Amy Carmichael, in spite of all the challenges, she said, um, one of her quotes, when I consider the cross of Christ... How can anything I do be called sacrifice? Um, Amy had a vision of the kingdom. Amy saw the value of the kingdom in her life and all of her possessions in comparison. She willingly laid that down that the kingdom of God would advance and we need to do the same. So we are called to follow the king. Um, We are called to See the kingdom. That is my, my question for you. Do you see the kingdom? Um, oh, I forgot my last point up there. I think it's um, follow the king in worship. Sorry, that's my last point. Um, and I, I do want to read Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, because this is God's end endgame. Uh, John Piper is famous for saying uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. And worship is God's endgame. And in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, we get a glimpse into the future of the kingdom here. Um, John writes, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, That is what, where the king is heading, and that is what the king sees, and that is what the king calls us to. And so let me, let me pray for us, and then the worship team is going to come up. Lord Jesus, you are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. I ask that you would give us revelation and insight by your Spirit to see your kingdom. Lord, there are so many things that distract us in this world. Uh, So many much smaller, insignificant, temporal kingdoms that we chase after. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see your glorious eternal kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you you would empower us by your Spirit, to seek your kingdom, Lord, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. And Lord Jesus, you have called us to yourself. You've called us to follow you wherever you would lead us. Jesus, I thank you for the missionaries that we get to support, who are following you into some very difficult places. God, I pray that we would be willing to also Go wherever you send us. Help us to be faithful here, um, because you have put us here for now. So Lord, help us to be here uh, faithfully serving you. But I also pray, Lord, Lord, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Lord, I pray that you would call forth more laborers from this church, from this city, and this state, Lord, to go forth to advance your kingdom in these unreached dark areas. And I pray this all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.